Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here. Nice to see you. I see some new faces. I see some faces we haven't seen in a while. Maybe some uh, New Year's resolutions to go to church more often. Uh, coming, coming to pass. No, no shame in that. It's the exact same motivation to why I'm going to the gym this week. It's January. Everyone starts out January. I'm going to do better this year. Uh, thanks for being here. It's great to. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you after the service. My name is Jeff Kerr. My wife Christy and I are the pastors here. We love uh, this church community. We love being in Farmington. We've been a church for six years, almost six years. So we're going to plan a big six-year birthday party in March if we're allowed to do anything in March. Unfortunately, we're still waiting to be able to celebrate our fifth-year birthday party from last March, which got postponed because of COVID. And we all thought, this will be over by April. Um, maybe it will be by this April. Um, so... Anyways, enough about that. Um, if you have a Bible, we're going to spend a few weeks in the book, uh, books of First and Second Kings. So I always encourage you to bring your Bible to church um, for one so that you can make sure I'm not making any of this stuff up. Um, but mostly because we would love to have you read along on Sundays and then have that Bible with you through the week so that you could maybe reread it. We want the Word of God to be something that is way more a part of your life than just something you listen to on Sunday morning. So I encourage you to bring a Bible or any sort of electronic device that has a Bible on it. So we're going to be in the books of First and Second Kings for a few weeks today. It's going to be in the book of Second Kings. Um, I just wanted to start out reading a, a passage of scripture. It's been a tough week in our country, just a tough season, political season in our country. A lot of people filled with anxiety and worry and division and all those things. So the scripture that came to mind, a familiar scripture that I saw many people posting this week, Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray... And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So we're praying for our nation that God's spirit would move. God's spirit of unity and love would move. Um, but here's what I was thinking about this week is we tend to, and I'm putting myself in this category. We tend to read that scripture and when we pray we think, well God, we need you to heal our land because they, and whoever they is, are messing it up. So, Lord, if you would fix them, then our land would be healed. And that can be any, I mean, we've all done it, no matter what side you're on. So here's what I wanted to do as we start out this morning, is just talk a little bit about when that passage of Scripture was written in Second Chronicles. This was not during a difficult time for Israel when, when this was written. This was not a difficult time. They weren't facing defeat or worry. They were, this was actually, if you're going to kind of do a, a a graph of like when Israel in the Old Testament was at its peak or its height of power and prosperity and influence, it would have been right here. This was when in the Old Testament, the Israelites who had settled the promised land and God had given them a king, and first it was King Saul and then King David and then King Solomon, finally after having a kind of mobile tabernacle where the presence of God would be, where they would worship, they built the temple. This was the first like permanent temple and it was you know, no expense was spared building this temple. And then they had a big dedication, and it, the Spirit of God came and filled the temple. There was unity. They had military power, prosperity. They sacrificed so many animals as a result of this celebration. And then the celebration, they said, we're going to have a feast. It's going to be a seven-day feast with nothing but food. And we call that Christmas break around here. Um, but this is, So this was the height and pinnacle of, like, Israel's prosperity. And that's when God speaks to Solomon and says this. He says, Solomon, I know right now everyone's hearts are devoted to me. 
And everyone is celebrating, and everyone is unified, and there's no enemies around, and everything seems to be going good, and the people's faith is strong, and there's no idolatry or wickedness, and they're all worshiping God, and it's all going good. However, in the future, what's going to happen is the people are going to turn to idolatry. And in the future, the kings of Israel, their hearts will be far from me. And in the future, there will be enemies, and there will be defeat, and there will be um, wickedness throughout Israel. And then, in that day, if you will call on my name, and the people will turn from their wickedness, they will hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. So it's like God is saying, in the future, when it goes bad, when you turn away from God, you can always call my name. You can always reach out. You can always seek my face, and I will be faithful to forgive and heal your land. It's important to recognize what the, con- the context of what God is saying here to Solomon after the temple is dedicated is that it's this. It's, it's going to start with you. It's going to start with me. It's going to start on a personal level where we say, okay, I'm going to start. Any sort of praying for our land has to start with us looking into our own hearts and saying, God, um, forgive me. There is wickedness in me. There is anger and judgment in me. So start here. Start here. So I'm pointing to me. I'm not having you all point to me. You should all point to yourself. Well, not really, but it would be weird if I started pointing to you so we all get what I'm saying here. It's a personal thing where God says, when you find yourself in the midst of whatever battle, start here. Because what we've talked about in in messages past, when we have a heart that is fully committed to God, when we repent of our own wickedness and our own sin, then God responds to that. God can do the miraculous in our nation and in our community, but we have to start here. So I wanted to encourage us, and we're going to take a moment and pray right now for all the stuff going on in our nation, but I want to encourage us to at least start here. This has to be God. Do a work in my heart. So that then I am pure-hearted and pure, have pure motives so that I can shine your light to other people. And that's how this, that's how this nation is going to change, is when the light of God just continues to spread from, from soul to soul. So let's pray together for our country this morning. Lord, we, we just take a moment, we commit ourselves to prayer. And first of all, God, we turn our focus to our own hearts. And we ask that you would search our hearts, our motives, our actions, our attitudes, times when we have been filled with division and hate and judgment and anger or self-righteousness or pride or whatever it is, we repent of those. And we just ask that you would move in our hearts, forgive our sins, and heal our land today. The division, the anger, I pray that there would just be supernatural voice of unity and whatever, however it happens, God. But may it start with us and may it start with us having pure hearts. So we repent of our sins. Ask that you would heal our land today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, First and Second Kings. We're going to be in Second Kings today. There's so many great stories in these books of First and Second Kings. So we talked about how there was Saul and David and Solomon. Well, the book of First and Second Kings is... Really, the story of all the kings that followed. After Solomon, there was kind of this civil war that happened in Israel, and the kingdom was divided. There was the northern kingdom, which from that point on would be known as Israel. And then there was the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah. And that's where Jerusalem and the temple was. So if you read through these books, you're going to hear, well, there was the king of Judah, and then there was the king of Israel, and then they were, they were at war with each other. And you're like, wait a minute. Well, that's, that's it. There was this two kingdoms. And so the book of First and Second Kings really goes through 
All these kings. Some of the kings were good and righteous and the, and the nation did well. And it was all based on their devotion to God. And then many of the kings were evil and they would turn the hearts of the people towards idolatry. Turn the hearts of the people towards the idolatry that was rampant in all the surrounding nations. And that's when disaster would come. And God would say over and over and over again, turn back to me. It's like the, the words that he spoke to Solomon in Second Chronicles. There's going to come a day where you turn to wickedness. Well, that's what happened. And God throughout First and Second Kings is saying, just turn back to me and please don't keep going on your way of idolatry. There's going to be disaster that comes. And so this is all that is happening. Well, eventually, because the wickedness and idolatry in Israel, the northern kingdom, is so bad and so rampant, God finally gives them over to be defeated by an enemy nation, the Assyrians, the Assyrian Empire. And they have come in and they have exiled Israel. Even the religious leaders in Israel were exiled because they as well, the temple workers and the priests, were prone to idolatry as well. So the Assyrians come in, they defeat the army, and what happens is many, most of the citizens of Israel, they exile to become citizens, not citizens, but basically slaves in all the other nations. And then they fill Israel, because they still want to profit off the land there, with citizens of their nations. So all these other people come in. Well, this is where our story picks up today in 2 Kings chapter 17. The northern kingdom is conquered, and the Assyrians have moved in, and then something interesting happens in 1 Kings, or 2 Kings sorry, 17, verse 24. It says this. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon and then a bunch of names I'm not going to pronounce right. Kutha and Ava, I'm going to do it fast so you don't notice. Hamath and Sepharavim and settled in the towns of Samaria or Israel to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria and lived in its towns. When they first lived there, they did not worship the Lord. So he sent lions among them that they killed some of the people. <laughs> which I find kind of funny. We're going to stop there for a second. That's just interesting to me that God just still decides to mess with the enemy nations. He's allowed them to conquer Israel. But I love that moment where he says to them, you may think you're pretty powerful because you defeated Israel, but I'm still in charge. And just so you know that, here's some lions that just appear out of nowhere and kill a bunch of the people, right? I think if we had that today, church attendance would go through the roof. I keep praying for that, but God doesn't send the lines. I love that moment where it's like God shows them he's still in charge. So the Assyrians, they recognize a problem. Now, the culture around all the nations was every nation had their own god. They had their own god they would worship. So the Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar, there was all these, you know, all the other nations throughout this whole time in history. If you went to a certain nation, you said, okay, this nation worships this god. Israel has their God. This nation worships this God. And how they would know what God was real or more powerful was who was victorious in battle. So the, the Assyrians come to Israel and they settle in Israel. And all of a sudden, lions start appearing and killing people. So they have that moment of, like an aha moment of, oh, well, clearly the problem is Israel has a God and we don't know how to worship this God. And that's why the lions are attacking us. And so this is what happens in the next verse, verse 26. It was reported to the king of Assyria, the people you deported and resettled in the towns of Samaria do not know the God of that country, do not know what the God of that country requires. He has sent lions among them, which are killing them off, because the people do, know, know, do not know what he requires. Then the king of Assyria gave this order, have one of the priests you took captive from Samaria go back and live there and teach the people what the God of the land requires. In other words, they recognize, okay, this nation has a God. We got to learn 
how to appease it, basically. So send us one of the former religious leaders of Israel so they can teach us how to do this. We're going to pause here for a moment because this is what I call an amazing opportunity for the kingdom of God. This is an amazing opportunity where representatives from all the surrounding nations are in Israel and they're saying, there's something about the God of this nation that we need to learn about, so somebody come and tell us. Circumstances, in this case it was ferocious lions, but circumstances in their world had caused them to look for answers beyond themselves. To say there's something happening here and we need to know what it is. So they call for a priest to come, one of the religious rulers that previously was in Israel, to come and teach them about their God. Here's the problem. Is the priest that they brought back, the religious leader they brought back into Israel, was the one who was there before. Was one of the reasons they were caught up in idolatry. His heart was far from God. He was one of the ones leading them to to worship all these idols. There was no strong faith commitment there. But before we go on to the story, I want to ask you this question. Thinking about this great opportunity they had to show what God was all about. I want you to think about this question. What would cause people today to want to become a Christian? To become a Christ follower? What? I mean, maybe you're here and you're thinking back to your story. What led you to to put your faith in Jesus? And there was maybe some circumstance or life circumstance or somebody, somebody shared their faith. I was thinking about that this week. What would make people want to become a Christian? And I was pondering it, and this wasn't like a crisis of faith moment from your pastor. It's okay, I'm doing all right. This wasn't a, I wasn't asking, why would anyone want to pastor a church? That's different, and I ask myself that question every week. (laughs) Not really, just on Monday mornings. Think about that, for real. Why do people become Christians? And I was thinking about that this week, and here's some of the things I came up with, and they'll be on the screen. First of all, there's the Holy Spirit that convicts people. The presence of God, the Holy Spirit, he is at work. He is working in hearts. His job is to convict people of their unrighteousness, point them to the love of Jesus. So there are times people all on their own with no outside influence, they're just by themselves and they just sense the presence of God and they just know there is something real. I need to know what this is. The Holy Spirit has revealed them and drawn them. Second one is there's miracles. There's signs and wonders. There is times where... Someone is being prayed for, and there is a physical, undeniable miracle, a healing, whatever it is. And it's one of those things that's like, oh, that clearly was of a higher power. I need to know more about that. And we know that God still moves, convicting by the Holy Spirit. He moves still in miracles. But the third one is this, and I would, my opinion would be this is probably maybe the most common, even though the Holy Spirit is always at work. The third one is this, the light in other Christ followers. The light that is seen in other Christ followers. Meaning this, when people recognize their own darkness, when life falls apart, when things are going really, really terrible, they are more open to something that can help them. And that's when, if they look at a Christ follower and they see joy and hope and peace and boldness and like the, the fruit that we have as Christ followers, they say, I want that. There's something about that. There's something about that I need to know more about. It's the light of God shining through us that causes people to notice and say, I need to know more about that. Right? Are we with me so far? So maybe that was some of you, where you, you were at your, the end of your rope, and there was something about a Christian in your world that you said, there's something there. And that was what introduced you to faith. Here's why I asked that question, and here's my point today in telling the story. Is our faith is supposed to stand out in our culture, to be different 
in our culture. Not weird, different, and many Christians are doing the weird part just fine. But different in this way, that when the world is struggling through fear and worry and anger and division and all the things, that there's something about the Christ followers that shines like a light, that is different, that's not all caught up in that, but it's different. So that they say, okay, our world is falling apart, our nation is falling apart, whatever, but look at them. They seem to be filled with joy in spite of it all. I need to know more about that. This is what our faith is supposed to do. People should notice. This is when we are a light. And this is a very effective tool for glorifying God and sharing our faith with other people. This is something we can do we don't even need to really, you know, go door to door. You can if you want. You don't need to be preaching on a street corner. There's something about just going about your daily life with the glory of God shining through you that causes you to just be a light. That people say that's different than everything else going on in our culture. This is an effective tool. There should be a noticeable difference because that's when light shines brightest is in the dark. There's light would be no good if it was no different than the dark, right? It's, there's a noticeable difference that causes people to say, oh, we need to know more about that. So back to 2 Kings. They bring the Israelite priest back, and it says this. They ask him, okay, show us what your God is all about. This amazing opportunity. This is the equivalent of somebody coming to you saying, there's something different about you. What is different about you? That is what I call an opportunity to share your faith served up on a platter, right? There's no like, Lord, should I share my faith with them? Give me a sign. When they're like saying, what is it about you that's different? That's it. That's God opening the door, right? This is an amazing opportunity. So this is what happens in Israel in verse 28. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria came to live in Bethel and taught them, the Assyrians, how to worship the Lord. Nevertheless, each national group made its own gods in several towns where they settled, and they set them up in the shrines and the people of Samaria had made at the high places. So in other words, what happened was this. There were, the priest came back, and there was nothing distinguishable from all the other nations. The, Sumerians, or the, the Assyrians looked around, and the priest was telling them, and they looked around, and they said, yeah, but you've got all these other idols, because there was idols set up all throughout Israel. And the, and, the, and the Assyrians looked around and said, there's nothing different here than what we find in all the other nations. You've got this God to this nation over here. You've got this. There's, you've got all sorts of gods. It's the same thing. And so they just said, well, then we just keep doing the same thing. They set up all their own idols, and it just continued on. Nothing changed. There was nothing distinguishable that drew them to the one true God. Because the, the, the idolatry was rampant before they were exiled. And they just came in and said, this is nothing different than what we have, and so nothing changed. And in verse 34, I apologize, my phone is like blowing up and it's buzzing. And someone's calling me, I'm preaching right now, just so you know, I'm just kidding. There was someone was calling me and I'm like, and they kept calling and calling and I, yeah, never mind. It's my uh, attention deficit coming in right there. The saddest part of this story comes in verse 34, it says this. To this day, they persist in their former practices. They neither worship the Lord nor adhere to the decrees and regulations, the laws and commands that the Lord gave the descendants of Jacob, who he named Israel. Nothing changed. They came into a land, circumstances caused them to look for something of God, and they asked the people to send a priest, and the priest came, and there was nothing different about every other nation. They said, oh, well, we'll just keep doing the same thing. There was nothing that led them to say there is one true God. 
And that is a wasted opportunity. That's a wasted opportunity to impact multiple nations, representatives from all the surrounding nations in Israel asking about God, and nothing changed because there was no light shining out of Israel. They had been so caught up in the idolatry of all the other world, the rest of the world. I've spent a bit of time over the past few weeks, actually a couple months, just thinking about the year we came through, 2020. It's over. We're through it. Yay. And so far, 2021 is going super smooth. (laughs) I was looking back over the last year and just kind of processing what I learned personally, our family, how it affected our family, our church, our community, our nation. And here's a thought that I've had for a couple of months now. And this story that I read this week in 2 Kings just kind of reaffirmed that. I had a different message I was going to preach this week, but this one just was like, this is what God was kind of confirming in my heart as I was reading that this week. 2020 was an amazing opportunity for the Christ followers to shine. It was an amazing opportunity for the Christ followers to shine. It was like the lions in 2 Kings, and people were looking around saying, there is darkness and division and hatred and anger and fear and worry and financial things and all these things. It was tough. We all had to go through it. So what we're learning from being a light is this. In those times, that's an opportunity for the Christ followers to shine. That is a Christ follower's shining moment. This was the opportunity when the world collectively experienced loss and fear and shortage and scared about their health and their jobs and their businesses and certainly all the political division that went on. All of these things, and we feel it. We can feel it just like, oh, it's a weight that we feel just walking through normal life these days. That is when the light will shine. That is an opportunity for the Christ followers to shine. And there was many good things that happened. And I was thinking back to our church and the people of our church and in our family. There was a lot of good shining going on. We, you know, just one example, the best Christmas ever that we did as a church, we raised money to help a few families in our community that were really, really having a difficult time. And we were able to pay off some of their bills and give them lots of Christmas presents. And if you were a part of that, those nights where we went and delivered the Christmas presents, it was awesome to be a part of. Because you have these families who, they don't know who we are, but they're just like, First of all, they're like, who are you again? And why are you doing this for us? Like, they were blown away. And it was just an amazing opportunity to shine. And one of the families, there was a teenage girl whose cell phone was so old, it really wasn't working. And one of the gifts we bought her was a, newer, a much newer cell phone. And apparently what happened was this, is that a couple weeks later, she was out with her friends. And her friends were like, where'd you get that cell phone? That's sweet. Where'd you get that? And, the, and apparently the daughter said, God's people brought me this phone. Which is awesome, right? That's just a great, yeah, that's awesome. So there was great moments where we were able to shine. There was great moments where people in our congregation are part of the healthcare community and frontline workers and showing kindness. So there was good in that. But here's what I was thinking about this week. As I was thinking about 2020 and the amazing opportunity for Christians to shine. Is that I think there was other opportunities that I fear the church as a whole missed it. We missed the opportunity, not just not this church, I mean the church as a whole, where we missed a great opportunity to shine, where the darkness was rampant in our world and people were everywhere, were looking for something. They were like those uh, Assyrians in Israel, like, okay, there's lions attacking us, there's got to be something that we need to know because circumstances are dark. That was happening in 2020 where our culture was collectively looking for some hope. And they weren't finding it in any of the places they were looking. And this was our opportunity. And I think, 
And I fear that too often when the world looked at Christians in 2020 seeking hope and light, all they saw were people who were just as scared, just as angry, just as divisive, just as impatient and greedy and demanding and hateful as everyone else. And they looked and said, well, clearly that's not it because they're just like us. There's nothing distinguishable about what they're doing that causes any difference. When we get caught up in the cares of this world, we forfeit our shine, right? Because nobody looks and sees anything different. They're like, oh, they're Christians and they're worried about all the same stuff we are. So clearly that's not making a difference. And we were called to stand out and shine. Not stand out by winning an argument. Stand out by shining the love of Christ. Stand out by having joy and peace. Because this is what the world's going to look at and say, there is something there. And this is what we get to be a part of. So this is an encouragement today. This is not, I don't want this message to come across like, oh, there's another thing I did wrong in 2020. Great. Like I couldn't feel worse than I already did. Thanks for inv inviting me to church. I could have felt bad at home. I could have called my parents if I wanted to feel bad. Or I'm just, hopefully my parents aren't watching. That was a joke. I was this is an encouragement today to say this. This is what your life can be. That your life can be filled with so much joy and peace, like supernatural from God, so that even in the midst of 2020 and now 2021, it can be unaffected and you can just be walking around like a light of joy and peace and hope so that people are like, what's going on there? What's going on? So you might even think that you're in the midst of just the worst circumstance right now. What we see in Scripture, what we see God teach in the Old Testament and the New Testament is you have everything you need. You might be worried about your job or your marriage or your health or something. You might be worried about all that went on in our country this last week or has been for the last year. But what you have is everything you need to overflow with peace and hope, and joy, because we are the light. We have the light of the world in us. So this is an encouraging reminder today that your life has the ability and the call to shine brightly. You are meant to shine. You are meant to live in strength and love so much that it just overflows and people are drawn to it, so much that you glorify God by people looking at you and saying, I want to know more about God. This is how the, the gospel is going to spread. So apply what we've been looking in 2 Kings to our community today. May it never be said of the people of Farmington, may it never be said that they were hurting and they came to the Christ followers to find hope, but there was nothing different about them. And so they just carried on in their old ways. That's a tragic story in 2 Kings. That opportunity to tell them about God, there was nothing different in Israel than there was around the world. And so they just continued on with their idol worship. I never want that to be said. I want, I'll just speak for Homestead Church. I want the story over and over and over again for the people of this church and the broader church in this town. The people who were hurting and in darkness, they came and found the Christ followers and they said, there's something different about you. Tell me what it is. And we told them about the hope of Jesus Christ and their eternity was changed. And then they were a light. And this is how the light spread. And this is how our nation was changed. This is what we get to do. So if you're worn out, if you are down in the dumps, if you are just trying to win the culture war or fear about this or all of these things, I want to remind you, you're here to shine. And it is joy and hope that is going to do that. It's joy and hope that is going to do that. I never want us to win an argument but lose our shine. 
to lose the light of Christ in us. I'm going to close with this verse in 1 Peter chapter 2. This is in the New Testament. This is the Apostle Peter writing. He's not writing to a certain group of people. He's writing to Christians all over. And this is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You maybe have heard this verse before. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's why we're here, to declare his praises. Once you were not a people, but now you are people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Hold the phone there. Foreigners and exiles? Who's he talking to? He's not talking to the people in Second Kings who had been exiled out of their country. He's not talking to people who had been taken from one land and moved into slavery in another country. He's talking to Christians all over the world who are living in their nation, who are living in the nation that they're citizens of. He calls them foreigners and exiles. Why is he doing that? Because he's reminding them, you're not at home. You're a part of a bigger kingdom. You're a foreign, just remember, don't get so caught up in the, in the ways of the culture that you're in that you forget that you're supposed to stand out, to be set apart as God's holy people. You are still outsiders, and that's the way you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be distinguishable from the culture that you're in. So don't get so caught up in the cares of the world that people look at you and say, ah, they're just the same as the rest of us. You're supposed to stand out. Therefore, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And then get this. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That is light. That is light. We're always, as people of faith, we're never going to fit in in this culture. And there's always going to be people that are opposed to it. That's the way it's going to be. But they should look at us and say, I don't agree with what they believe in, but they're the nicest people I've ever met. I don't agree with what they believe in, but I never see them bickering and arguing and hate-filled towards other groups of people. I don't agree with what they believe in, but I sure would hire them to work in my company because they're the best workers. They're kind, they show up on time. They work hard. They're kind to everybody. They just have a, a light about them. This is what it means to shine our light. This is how our lives can glorify God so that people would see us. And even though people accuse us of doing wrong, they would see how we shine and they would glorify God, that he would get glory for your life. What an opportunity, right? This is so much more than just walking through life trying to survive. This is shining your light for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. This is what we get to do. So let's not dull our shine by delving into all the cares of the world all the economic fear and culture wars and materialism and selfishness. As the world is dark as it is right now, that's our opportunity to shine. So let's close in prayer. Holy Spirit, as we started out this message, first and foremost, we want you to examine our hearts. Search our hearts. See if there is ways of wickedness, of judgment, of arrogance, of division and hatred, selfishness and greed. Lord, we repent. Times where we have just gotten so much in being caught up in the cares of this world, the battles that the world is fighting, the fears that they are fearing, all the things that they are going through, we want to be set apart 
and shine because we are different. Because we are different because we're just filled with hope and peace because you are with us in every season. Filled with hope and peace and joy because you have called us to do that. We have everything we need for a hopeful, peaceful, and joyful life in you. We don't need the world to be fixed for us to live that way. We have that in you. So Lord, help us to shine. Help us to be mindful that we are your light, that the way the gospel is going to spread is because, Holy Spirit, you are drawing people and you are using the light in us to draw them to the Father, that he would be glorified. So help us to walk in that mindset this week, to be lights that shine, that people would see you and glorify you, that lives would be changed, eternities would be changed, our nation would be changed for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.